Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number five. And uh, I heard a story about a child, a, a typical four-year-old who uh, one day uh, came um, to her uh, dad and um, she was very inquisitive asking about what marriage was. What is marriage? And uh, the father uh, decided to pull out a, 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 an album of all of the pictures of their marriage between him and his wife. And uh, as he was going through page by page, he was explaining, now this is, uh, this is mom here, you know, before we got married. And uh, this is her as she was uh, getting ready. And this is her coming to the church. And this is her walking down the aisle. And here's us uh, uh, talking uh, with one another, giving our vows and um, so forth and so on. And as he goes through the whole uh, book there and talks about the recession and the reception and everything, and he finally says, now, do you understand? And he says, I think so, she said. Is that when mommy came to work for us? <laughs> I think there's a huge, huge misconception on exactly what marriage really is. And... Paul's going to really lay out this for us uh, when he talks about wives and husbands. And as the past couple of weeks, as we already looked about, the, the role of the wife is to submit uh, to her husband. And uh, we come to these last few verses here in Ephesians 5 about the relationship, how the husbands are supposed to have a relationship with the wives. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this text here together, and then I'm going to give you a few introductory uh, thoughts. And then I want to give you what we should really take away from this passage here uh, this morning. So let's take a look here at the text, what it says, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husband, what is the current state of your marriage? What is the current state of your marriage? Husband, do you really love your wife? How does your love for her compare to Christ's love for the church, which moved him to give himself for the church on the cross? I would say it's safe to say that no matter how long you've been married, and no matter how happy your marriage may be, 
There's always a need to grow in Christ-like love for your wife. My marriage is far from perfect. My wife can definitely attest to that. I make mistakes. I'm an idiot. I come, thank you. I grumble, I complain. I'm in constant need of reproof for the lack of love that I have for my wife in my marriage. And as we saw here last time, that Christian marriage is supposed to be an earthly picture of how Christ loves the church, the relationship that he has between the church. And the world should be able to look at a Christian marriage and see a distinctive difference in how we relate to one another. Satan focuses his attacks on marriage, on Christian marriages, in that the testimony of Christ and his sacrificial death of Christ is at stake. When Christian marriages break up, it sends a false message to the world that Christ does not love his bride with an enduring love. So this text here is not just here so that you will have a happy marriage, although I do believe, husbands, if we follow the teachings of what the Bible says, that yes, our marriage will be happy. But there's something far greater at stake than just having a happy marriage. It's here for the greater purpose to help us all glorify our Savior through marriages that reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, this morning that I hope that you would dwell on and think about. Learn the gospel so you may love your wife as Christ loves the church. Learn the gospel so that you may love your wife as Christ loves the church. So let's take a note of a few things. Number one, love. So if you're going to be a husband who loves like Christ, you first must learn how to love. Notice here in our text how many times Paul uses the word love. He says here in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. Then he tells us here in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And then in verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So since Paul makes such a strong argument here for love, I think we can conclude that love is the main ingredient for a husband and their relationship with their wife. Now, we'll discuss here a little bit in a moment here about what it means to love, but I want you to see that love is the main thing, and it is the main thing for the command for the husband. Following Paul's instructions here in the previous verses in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So God's word tells us as husbands, we are the head of our wife. He never commands us to be the head. He just states that we are the head. But husbands here, he tells us, we would might think that as he talks to the wife and says, submit to your husbands, we would might think that here in verse uh, uh, 25, that we would think that 
Paul would say, instead of husbands love your wife, he would say, now husbands, make sure that your wife is submitting to you. Or husbands, make sure that you are being the head of the wife. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, husbands, love your wives. I believe that here, as he tells us that husbands should be loving the wife, it is, a, it is the husband's responsibility to set the atmosphere of love in the home, not the wives. Our main responsibility, husbands, toward our wives is to love her. And it's not easy, but it is our responsibility. That's the responsibility that God gives the husband to love your wife. Look at the second thing here. Obey God's command to love. So if you want to be a husband that is going to love like Christ, you need to obey God's command to love. Look what he says again. Husbands, love your wives. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. There is no option whatsoever to not obey this command. Notice Paul does not say, husbands, love your wives only if you feel like it. Nor does he say, husbands should only love their wives only if they deserve it. Nor does he say, husbands, love your wives only when you want to. He says, husbands, love your wife. And so this command to love our wives is possible. Because he says, look what he says. He says, he gives this standard. He says, as Christ, husbands, love your wives as Christ. And then he says here, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And then in verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So is love possible for the, for the Christian husband to love his wife? Absolutely. You might be thinking, that's a lot for me to do. This is not possible, you might think. But I want to assure you that it is possible because God never commands us to do anything that we cannot do. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So as we've seen, all these verses here, they reflect really the ultimate thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is our context here. Because he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Well, husbands, how are we going to actually love our wives and live out that command? Be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Without the Holy Spirit's replacing our self-centeredness with His fruit, we will be self-centered. We will want things our own way. We want to do what we want to do. And we're trying, we may try to push the wife out of the picture. So that's why the command is for husbands to love their wives. So husbands, if we are not being filled with the Spirit, we could never make progress in loving our wives as Christ loved 
the church. Not that you will be perfect or that there still won't be bumps along the road, but with the Spirit's enabling, we can love the way God wants us to love our wives. I'd also like to address a misconception that sometimes I believe we often hear in marriages that are having difficulties, things like this, I used to love her, but I don't love her anymore. Or, I don't feel the same love for her that I used to feel. You see, God does not cut us any slack whatsoever. His command is, get to work, obey my command, and love your wife. And I believe that when we do get to work, and we do obey God's command, that that will rekindle that love that we should have for our wives. Falling in love is somewhat easy and effortless, is it not? I mean, you remember when you were dating, don't you? There were birds in the sky, but I never heard them singing. No, I never heard them at all till there was you. Right? Thank you. But that's the way we treat love. It's almost we fall into it so easy. But staying in love and growing in love required deliberate focus and effort. If your marriage has degenerated into bitterness, blaming, anger, well, you'll have to work much harder at obeying this command to love your wife. But the fact that God commands it means that it is possible and it is required for husbands to actually live out the command to love your wife. Now notice in our text here, it is a command to love, not what the culture dictates. The command to love their wives is given to all Christian husbands. Think with me just for a moment why this was important for Paul to be addressing these men in this church at Ephesus. Well, let's refresh our memory here. Turn back to Ephesians 5, verse number 3. Paul here is talking about being an imitator of God, to be walking in love, to actually be living out uh, truth. And then he counters that with what he says here, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the right light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do 
in secret. Many of the husbands that were living during this time in the Ephesian church had been saved out of raw paganism. Many of them had frequented the temple of Diana, goddess of the Ephesians, where both male and female prostitution were part of the worship ritual. Back in this time, many of the men were also married to women that were arranged marriages. The Greek writer uh, Demosthenes, who was a statesman and an orator in ancient Athens, describes the common mentality of pagan men in those days. Listen to what he says. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, but we have wives in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our homes. So it's against this pagan backdrop that Paul is writing saying, husbands love your wives. And you can see how radical that really was when Paul would make such a claim to say, don't live like these pagans do, actually love your wife. And it was the responsibility of the husband to be, to be singularly devoted to his wife in lifelong sacrificial love. Now you paint that today against uh, today's society. We have shows that celebrate unfaithfulness, wife swapping, same-sex marriage, and divorce. I've even seen posts on Facebook by Christians who celebrate their divorce from their spouse with a party. And we wonder, what in the world is going on? My point is, even in a marriage where the husband has fallen into the sinful ways of the world, where he has been unfaithful to his wife or she to him, where romantic love has gone cold, it is possible through obedience to God's word to turn that marriage relationship around so that it not only honors God, but also is fulfilling to the couple. But to apply Paul's command, we must be clear about what he means by love. There was a song that came out during the 60s, uh, really popular song. It was in a lot of uh, media as well, um, by the Righteous Brothers, you know. You've lost that love and feeling, right? So what do we mean by love? What does it mean when Paul says, love your wives? So that brings us to our third point here. Display the gospel by loving your wife. So husbands, if we are to love like Christ, we must define love. We do this by understanding what the gospel is. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Paul summed it up this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He says this, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. Let that sink in. Christ died for our sins, your sins, my sins. Real death for real sin. Without Christ, you are lost, corrupt, vile, ungodly, dead, and under God's wrath. You sin because you love to. Your father is the devil, and it is him whom you follow. But Jesus took the punishment you so righteously deserved from a holy God, and Jesus died for your sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus became sin for you so that you would be freed from the punishment and the wrath of God. What love, what sacrifice, what forgiveness, what grace, what mercy that God would extend that towards us because we were good, because we were righteous? No, is what Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. So God is able to justify those who repent from their sins and turn to Christ, wanting his forgiveness and righteousness. God forgives us. Not based on what we do or what we don't do, but purely on the merit of Jesus Christ. And I would dare to say, if there's anyone here this morning, that if you are trusting in anything else besides the sole basis merit of Jesus Christ, you are lost and you need to repent and you need to turn to Christ. Because without Christ, there is no salvation. God forgives us even when we don't deserve it. And we know that God grants life to all those who repent from their sin and turn to Christ because of the life that Jesus gave on the cross was crucified, it was put to death, and it was resurrected in power and glory. It is this message, husbands, that we are to learn, to study, and to allow it to be preached over and over again in our lives that we might display to our wives by loving them. Because it is when we love knowing the gospel, knowing what Christ did for us, knowing how Christ gave his life for us when we didn't deserve it, it is that sacrificial love we are supposed to be displaying to our wives, even when they don't deserve it. In this text, Paul is going to draw some comparisons for us about the gospel and Christian marriage. And it is these comparisons, husbands, that we are to follow. So as a husband, these are areas, I believe, that all of us, that we can grow into love to be more like Christ and live and, and actually show our, our wives Christ-like love. And we do that by displaying the gospel. That's why Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. 
And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So let's define love by learning the gospel. Love is an action. Love is an action. The world has definitely sold us a bill of goods about love, has it not? It is very important that I believe that we should clear our minds of the, uh, the Hollywood image that love is primarily sexual attraction that hits you mysteriously, but out of nowhere, but just mysteriously evaporates apart from your power to hang on to it. Certainly, I believe that God has designed those, uh, that, that mutual sexual attraction. I believe that it's important, and I believe without it, I would not advise a couple to, to marry. But we must understand Paul's teaching here. Here in this text, we are given love as it is displayed in action. How is love displayed as an action? Well, you married a sinner. Every husband, look towards your wife. Wives, look towards your husband. You know what you see? A sinner. You married a sinner. And in so much, because you married a sinner, this love demands that you display forgiveness even when your spouse doesn't even deserve it. Love is displayed as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment to seek out the highest good in the one whom we love. Notice these actions here. Look at uh, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love is self-sacrificing just as Christ loved the church. Self-sacrificing. Love is caring. Look at Ephesians 5.29. Just as a man nourishes and cherishes his own flesh as Christ does the church. So love is caring. Love is a commitment as implied here by the command to love by Christ's covenant love that he has for us. And by this analogy that he says about that we are members of his body. It's a commitment. I am committed to you. Husbands, that's why it's important that you have eyes for your wife and your wife only. It's a commitment. Love shows itself. That is, it's not just words, but also deeds as seen by Christ going to the cross for us. Husbands, I believe one of the greatest ways that you can show love to your wives is do the dishes. It's practical, but it works. Love seeks the highest good of the one loved. Look what he says in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. He says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word... So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So love seeks the highest good of the one loved. 
And so it's just as Christ died for us so that he might sanctify and cleanse us to present to himself in all of glory as holy and blameless husbands, your job, my job, our command is that we would present our wives spotless without wrinkle or blemish, that we would seek out the highest good for their lives. That's the command for us husbands, to love our wives. So is it possible, husbands, to love your wives like Christ? Yes. A thousand times over, yes, yes, yes. We have only looked here at the command to love, but what does that look like practically? Flowers, chocolates, provisions, asking for directions when you're lost, (laughs) admitting you're wrong, How will we as husbands actually practically live out this love? What does it look like in a day-to-day reality of marriage? Well, you'll have to come back next week. And I'll give you these practical things here out of Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 on how we can actually live out the reality of marriage as husbands who love like Christ. But I want you to take this home with you, this truth. God's command for me is to love. Husband, if you are a believer in Christ, dwell on the gospel this week. Dwell on what Christ did for you and ask God to rekindle the love that he has for you in your heart. So that you might display that same love towards your wife. Husband, if you do not know Christ, you will never know true love outside a relationship with Christ. For you, the call is to repent of your sin and believe the gospel. And if the Father is drawing you to himself, do not harden your heart, but believe. Repent and believe. Let's pray together.